0: We've been growing our successful businesses online, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 59. John and I were out in Joshua Tree a few weeks ago with Ben Ueda and Mike Montgomery, and they're two of the three hosts of the Modern Maker podcast, along with Chris Salamone. And the guys just started up a new business aimed at makers. It's called Maker Brand Co., And they're looking to fill the gaps in the market and provide clean, simple, no-fluff versions of products that we all use in the shop, like clamps, finishes, handsaws, and apparel. We talk with the guys about what it's like to start a new product business and some of the learnings and struggles they've had during the startup. But before we get into the interview, we want to thank our new patrons that joined the MFP tribe this week. We had Gary Halder, Tom Zellickman, Dominic Biasco, Bryce Roble, and Joshua Lynn Weaver. Thank you so much, guys, if you want to join the patron squad over there, you can head to patreon.com forward slash made for profit and get access to the after show as well as some cool rewards and help support the show. But without further ado, here's our interview with Maker Brand Co. Hey, what's up, guys? We're here again today with our first two-time guests on Made for Profit, Ben Ueda and Mike Montgomery from Modern Maker Podcast. What's going on, everybody? I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for having us. Absolutely, man. Unfortunately, we could not get Chris Salomone here. Uh, so we are actually in Maker Ranch. I love the name Maker Ranch, by the way. That is just like the name of, it's like the Mecca,
1: Maker
2: Ranch. Yeah, it also could just be called Messy Ranch. Uh, <laughs> with all these makers, we have a lot more makers than we do organizers. So <laughs> um, it's fun, it's creative, it's free-flowing, but... You know, and this is the cleaned up version before you guys got here. Wow. It can get a little, <laughs> a little chaotic at times, but uh, certainly there's always uh, fun stuff to be building and uh, creating with.
3: Yeah, just in case Chris is listening, we don't want you to feel left out. We did make a full-size cutout of you uh, in your last video, and it's standing behind us. <laughs> we will cue you in if necessary. If we talk about skinny furniture or anything, you know, important pertaining um, to the Four Eyes brand. So. That's right. We, we love you, dude.
0: And so you guys know, we we recently had both Chris and Mike on as guests, and and Ben were almost right at about a year ago. So you, if you want to hear more about them personally, you can go check out those interviews. There's some some really good ones. But um, today, when we were here, what we wanted to do is really talk about uh, their new venture. And so it's it's a really great opportunity to talk with uh, makers in the space who are. Who are branching out and trying something new, and they have started a new company
1: called Maker Brand, and or is it Maker Brand Co? It's Maker Brand Co. Feel free to call it Maker Brand all you want. Uh, it was it was just uh, what do you call that? Trademarking the name. We had to add a little Co at the end. And I got it. Add the Co in there, uh, which is which is
0: super awesome because uh, love seeing an opportunity for makers to support other makers both in your products because uh, and we'll get to it here as we talk about it. But I love the idea of of making things that we want because always there you get that tool and you're like, man, I just, I wish this did this or I wish this clamp came in, had this capability or whatever and being able to fill the gap. So um, why don't you yeah. try, hit us up? Like, yeah. like give, give the audience a, a little overview of what maker brand is and what you guys have right
2: now and, and what's on the docket. So it's really the the marriage of two of our major interests. One is from as makers We're always looking for tools and things like that. I mean, I develop whole projects based off of single tools or a new material discovery. And what we were sort of thinking is that we were seeing this sort of gap in the market that a lot of the things at the big box home improvement centers are either geared towards very novice DIYers or like more contractors and handymen kind of people. And on the other side, there's like the fine woodworking catalogs and stuff like that. And I think all these companies do a great job, but for us sort of generalist makers who are more doing it to kind of experiment rather than either master a particular craft like woodworking or just repairing things around our own house, where do we go, right? Where do we, where do we get the sort of general supplies that are in between? We, we might want things that are a little bit more than a one-use DIY kit, but we might not need, you know, the festool level of like a master craftsman that's running a full-time cabinet shop. And so from the need side, that was sort of where we came. And what we noticed in our community is that whenever somebody found a good deal on a nice thing from like Amazon, often like a very unbranded, just kind of generic thing, like let's say a Japanese pull saw, Mm -hmm. we would share it amongst the community and be like, oh, here's a cool find. Don't know what this company is, but hey, this one works good. I remember one of the first conversations me and Mike had is he'd be like, where'd you get those saw horses? And it's like I found it's like one particular folding steel sawhorses and they weren't like the thin galvanized steel. They're like the nice thick right. heavy plate steel. So in seeing that behavior where, when we found a good unlisted product, we'd want to share it. We started thinking, well, we know what we like and we get pretty excited when, when somebody explains something. So for example, I always liked clamps with positive stops. I just hate it when you're twisting the handle and it just keeps sliding. So, we wanted to sort of just curate and and launch a collection of products that were exactly that. The other sort of part to this is we're content producers and we're working with sponsors all the time and we think we do a pretty good job at it. So it's like, why not put our money where our mouth is and, and you know, basically use some of our airtime to sponsor some of our own products.
1: And what's interesting is we don't have to completely reinvent the wheel. Like what Ben was mentioning, we're all, we're all using tools, whether it's made for contractors or fine furniture makers in our own unique ways in this kind of, uh, kind of the generalist maker kind of mentality. And so the, whether it's the measuring, uh, specifics of like a speed square or like what you were just mentioning with, with the Japanese pull saw, there's just those small things that we can change and we can tweak. To make it so much more useful for the people that are using one tool to weld up a table base and then using that same that same tool to break down plywood rather than having these specialized tools that only perform in one specific niche. If we can make them able to multitask the same way we are, then we're getting that much more life out of one single tool rather than two. Yeah, that's awesome. And also, I love the idea of
0: of you guys coming together as as the podcast. Too right. So it the three of you guys doing this together because so so like how did that how did that conversation happen Was it like during a podcast where you guys were like Hey, we should do this or like how how
1: did that unfold? Well, usually at the end of kind of every recording session that we have, we end up talking whether it's business life, kind of what's going on with us. But for about two maybe three months straight, it seemed every week at the end of the show, I had some business venture that I'm like, guys, this is what we should be doing. And then the next week, it was like. You know what I told you last week? Scrap that because I've got a new idea and this one's going to change the game. Um, I'm a little enthusiastic in that way. And what's great about the three of us is we really kind of balance the spectrum of the kind of maker maker movement at large. Ben does a great job of doing you know simple projects. He's got I mean the table that we're recording the podcast at right now was a three tool project: a drill, circular saw, and an orbital sander. Um, I tend to use a lot of the similar brands and similar. Uh, similar techniques, but I tend to take it kind of maybe one step deeper. And then we have Chris, who, you know, he works with, you know, a really nice saw stop table saw, big kind of Powermatic tools and things like that. So between the three of us, we have a unique perspective and a good kind of way of balancing our ideas, because what works for me and what I might be excited about, Ben might say, well, that's a little over the top. Or Chris might say, well, have you thought about it in, in this way? And so rather than having three people that are doing the exact same thing and have the same perspective, we have that ability to disagree and kind of check each other's ideas and keep each other in line.
3: I think the concept of perspective when especially in business is extremely important. You know, finding someone who is identical and thinks the same as you do is gonna always lead to a boring conversation. It's gonna lead to a, a boring idea if you just agree if you're just super agreeable. So having multiple facets and individuals who have different views on things that you're able to actually not just, uh, give, uh, I guess your thoughts, but like combat the something that could be possibly bad. Like Brad and I do this all the time. I think I'm brilliant and I'm never wrong. And ironically, Brad's the same. So
1: (laughs) yeah, I mean, that's exactly right.
3: I'm kidding, but there is, it is good because we're able to bounce ideas back and forth and constructively get to the point where we want to be. I think that's important when you're Looking to do something like this is to find pieces that fit into that equation um, that bring different things to the table. If you're all similar and in line, you're going to be much more likely to hit roadblocks that you don't see coming or not be able to project where things are going to be because you don't have that outside perspective. You don't have that experience that's coming from something um, that someone else may have done in life if you're just extremely aligned in what you're doing. So it's really cool. To see you guys bringing those things to the forefront and bringing them all to the table with the brand itself.
1: Totally, and the way I kind of try and think about it most often is, if we had three people with the exact same views, you might as well do it yourself. Um, and so, if we, if there, if it is going to be a trio and there's going to be three people building three people involved, it needs to be three people with different skills, backgrounds, and kind of taste in a way. You know, we don't want to agree always. That being said,
2: it is. With a starting a product company, it's a little bit different than starting a podcast together. When you start a podcast together, those different perspectives are fantastic because it leads to conversation and different opinions. But you're not risking anything with a podcast. You're risking the hosting money, which is not a lot, and just your own mm-hmm. time. With a product company, it's a little bit different because you're actually risking capital to... Purchase inventory to do R and D to develop new prototypes and all those things. Uh, tooling costs. Whenever you make a change to an existing tool for your own little spin or your own little feature, that could be you know tens of thousands of dollars of, of upfront money, and that's where you really. And you know it's funny with a disagreement as a podcast, it doesn't really matter because it's only your time. But when it's a disagreement and one third of the group is. Kind of, you know, going along with the group, but doesn't feel strongly, but still has to kick in the, you know, the, the money for the for the inventory. It's a little bit more challenging. So I think it's been uh, it's pushing us to, one, really reexamine what things we think are going to win and not just add products for the sake of adding products. And so when we come to consensus on, OK, we think this product would work for all three of us. It might work a little bit more for Mike and, and Ben in this case, or this one might be more of a crisp product, uh, given the way we sort of work. But uh, it, it's really sort of a great it's not as much fun as with the podcast with the, our differences with the podcast is really fun because we we learn and we banter and we're like, huh, I don't think of it that way. With a product company, to be honest, it's a lot more challenging because you have to really push for your ideas and the other persons like, "I don't know I don't really seeing that i don't I don't need that thing as is as, as much and I have to put in money for that too so but that's exactly what you want as a check and balance when you're when you're playing with you know your pocketbook um so it's uh it's been a great uh way to sort of branch off. I have a, a lot of experience with sort of product companies, both sort of designing things that I've licensed and also uh, investing in different companies that were trying to develop products. And most of my, inv- you know, I've invested in two or three startups that have done physical goods and most of them didn't go well. So I have like a very cynical perspective. I'm like, okay, we've really got to know this thing. Um, so it, it's, you know, in, in talking to Mike about it, I always feel like I'm sort of, you know, uh, <laughs> You know, being the, the bad news bears, you know, he'll be like, oh, we can do this. We can do this. I'm like, yeah, but think about how much inventory we need for that. And will that get in the way of that? And then someone else already does that well. Um, so it, it's really exciting. I think there's a ton of potential in this area. You look around at all these different industries where, you know, people that were passionate about a subject matter that created product lines for specifically uh, uh, for their community have done really well. But it's it's a lot of work, and this time every time you make a decision, it's like you got to pony up for that that order,
0: right? So, and that's a that's an interesting thing because even even in a partnership, so with John and I being partners on the podcast, you know, it's not just a podcast for us either. We do the products, and we're doing our things and looking at bringing other digital products, not physical. And and there's a lot less risk there, even though you know our money would be like in advertising and stuff like that, and and maybe paying for somebody to help us with creative art and those types of things, production. Um, So definitely some money there, but not the upfront because, you know, like if a product doesn't sell and then you're stuck with it, it's like sunk cost. And now what do you do with it? Um, But even with just the two of us, we still, uh, you know, we don't agree at times. So like, as you guys were coming up with the products, did you do, did you start out and basically just say, what do we think based upon our conversations with everybody?
2: Or did you do any like
0: polling or of you know certain people in the community? Or? We,
2: we all threw out a bunch of ideas that we had and then we decided to start with the overlap, right? Mm. And so that's why we started with clamps because clamps are something that almost every maker, woodworker, metalworker, everyone I know all agrees that more clamps are better and a variety of different clamps. It's like people have their opinions on like, oh, I like this brand of power tools and circular saws. I like this brand of like, you know... John was telling me about certain brands of angle grinders that are geared a certain way but clamps I don't really have like any specific preference there's so many different types and there's always that weird situation where you need just the specific type right so clamps seem like such a great way to do it also there're things where where consumers have can always use more of them like I don't need another drill and I don't need another circular saw. I can always use well, the old
0: adage. You can never have enough clamp. I actually have a t-shirt that says you can never have enough clamps. My sister-in-law got it for me.
2: Yeah. So that, that, that was like the, the, the no brainer. Um, we're looking into sort of measuring tools and finishes are some of our next things. And then a big one that I'm personally really excited about is apparel. Uh, you know, I look at like industries like, like skateboarding and surfing that their apparel sort of went way beyond just the people that are hardcore skateboarders and hardcore surfers and i look at some brands like carhartt or timberland uh which are great examples that occasionally not consistently are occasionally able to sort of cross that line dickies would be another one um but i don't think they're doing it as intentionally as some of the the lifestyle brands did it and you know me and mike always talk about how we're both on the sort of skinnier side A lot of these kind of like work jackets and stuff like that just don't fit us. They're like way too big. The sleeves are way too baggy. Like when I'm working outside in Boston with an angle grinder, I, you know, I have warm coats, these warm sort of work jackets that that I think a Wrangler sent me. They're like way too baggy than they need to be. And that's not just a a vanity thing. That's something that can. it's just more material that can get caught on a machine part. So we think that with apparel, there's... that's probably the part where we're going to have the most fun. It's also probably going to be the part that's the most risky. Um, but the, 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 the no-nonsense, low-hanging fruit, we think, better measuring tools that sort of fit the right way. Um, we, I have a hard time making things square, so I want, I want things that really make... I look at something like Craig James, br- brilliant company. They just made making easier. Yeah. Um,
1: and, and, on and on that ask- kind of sense of making things easier, one of the things we'll be launching right after clamps is, is going to be finished. And what's kind of interesting is we're doing two finishes and that basically covers the entire range of finishing woods. I think a lot of people, when they're relatively new to the space, they're looking to the content creators like us for kind of suggestions on what they should be using. Because you know, if I see Bob Claggett using this finish or if I see Ben using polycrylic, uh, that's what I'm gonna reach for because other people had success for it. But for the people that, kind of go to those stores and then realize, oh, yeah, Bob used this or Jimmy used that. But there's also 200 different options and they're really hard to tell like how they're better than the other. Um, So just kind of simplifying that process, I think, is also going to be really beneficial. So we'll be coming out with just a simple oil, like a penetrating oil finish and then a penetrating oil finish that also has a wax top coat to it. So that kind of covers most of the applications that people need. If they need a more durable finish, you can always apply wax and then use a third party uh, film finish over that. But if that's something someone is interested in. But I just think lowering the barrier of entry, whether it's with finish or different tools um, and just getting people that are uncomfortable with those decisions uh, that most people traditionally are is is another really good value added
2: yeah, we, we, we want to be the gateway drug for, for a lot of makers. It's like, right. you know, we're not, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel with finishes. What we're trying to, to look at is when, if you walk in and you, maybe you've seen one of our YouTube videos. I'm sure you guys get a lot of questions on finishes. I would say as a category, that's one of the biggest categories yeah. of questions because it's really confusing. I mean, still to this day, I'm always thinking, wait, can I use this? You know, polyurethane with this oil, is this going to create some people mix them together and apply them at the same time. Other people do them. And like there's so much sort of witchcraft to that. Right. And everyone has got their own little techniques and secrets and stuff like that. That's all great because there's so many ways we can tailor things for our own particular taste. But when you step into the shoes of a beginner and they're standing in the aisle of Home Depot, And they kind of are thinking, like, I saw that guy on YouTube use that kind of greenish bottle, but I don't remember if it was water-based or oil-based. I don't remember if it was satin, glossy, or these. And there's no swatches here. And all the cans have is, like, labels and just say things that aren't really in comparison. So brands often don't compare their products. So you might be looking at like two products from the same brand and you're trying to figure out, well, which one should I use for my application when I can't? Because they're not telling you what they're not good at. They're only saying we're great at this, but we're extra great. The thing that <laughs> drove me crazy, I was shopping for a construction adhesive. And I swear to God, there was nothing that wasn't called super heavy duty. <laughs> but then there was like extreme duty. And I was like, well, is extreme duty stronger than super heavy duty? Because <laughs> hyper,
1: hyper duty.
2: Right. Yeah. And that kind of like monster energy drink marketing to me, I think, is just does everyone a disservice. I want clarity. I want to know what the ingredients are. I want to know what the, the applications are. And I don't need a picture of a guy in a flannel shirt on the cover. You know, mm-hmm. shout out to Hornsby or whatever his name is. <laughs> um, Put that on the Quaker Oats. You know, I don't, I don't need that crap on on my finishes. What I need is clear information that's going to help me solve problems while I'm standing in the aisle of the store.
0: Yeah. And, and the funny thing is, is that um, and, and I so I came up and learning about finishing and stuff like that through reading all the woodworking magazines and watching New Yankee Workshops. So I feel like I have a, a fairly good feel for woodworking finishes, but still. Uh, and, and by the way, there is a wonderful book and, and we'll link it down below just because it's amazing. Uh, if you want to learn about finishes in general, uh, called uh, flexner on finishes. So Bob mm-hmm. Flexner, like you know, there's a guy that's made his whole career around yep. finishes. So that goes to
2: show you like how how confusing it can be. And you're you're someone that researches and reads. Most of us don't.
3: true.
2: <laughs> Most of us like look at videos, look at a few pictures. Kind of right. trying to remember something that we once heard in a conversation a while ago, and so if it's confusing for someone that's like pretty analytical, pretty deliberate, and someone that does their research, imagine what it is for the the haphazard people, and also the people doing the the, the first projects. Yeah. Um, so we think those kind of things are just. Great opportunities. And it's nice because we think that the, the sort of ergonomics of sort of improving some of these things or, or not improving, but maybe just adding a different option or a fresh perspective on how to think about these things um, is also sort of segues nicely with a good business opportunity.
3: I think the uh, I think like one of the most beautiful aspects of what you guys are trying to do is how you're looking at the pain points of the consumer and not just specifically doing it at one level. So a lot of brands will focus on a pain point for a beginner or a pain point for an intermediate or a pain point for a pro. And you guys are trying to develop products that, you know, go over all say three categories and that things are crystal clear and the product quality is there for, for all of it. Um, you know, the clamps, for instance, uh, going back to that, the, the individual usage of it for a professional and a DIY or say is pretty basic, but. A pro is still capable of using, you know, the same type of uh, clamp that a beginner is going to use. But why would they want to pay, you know, $70 for something specifically over the $12 um, comparison in the store? And you guys addressing that immediately, you know, uh, ease of use, whatever, pin locking, long travel, like all of that stuff being crystal clear does. It it just uh, kind of glosses over all of the necessary information, regardless of what level you're at that frustrates me all the time as someone who you could consider a prosumer who has a great understanding typically of what they're buying. And I go to a specific store to look for something and the person selling it doesn't know the can, doesn't tell me anything or whatever the packaging doesn't tell me anything. And I'm just standing there (laughs) watching YouTube or reading articles, still can't find any information. The four of us were standing in here yesterday, reading labels on some stuff we were using, couldn't find any information. Uh, It's like, but it's so common and you look at it and you're like, who wrote this and developed this uh, instruction <laughs> manual? And what what type of degree do you need to read it? Yeah. And on the other end, there's things that are so basic. That's like wood finish. And you're like, what?
1: What, what kind of wood finish?
3: How is it that basic? Yeah. I love that you guys are taking into consideration the fact that um, there's a vast array of experience within the purchaser themselves in that there, the problems are going to be throughout each level um and that a lot of us as professionals don't have all the understanding and uh, and then bringing products to market that can fit any category i think is going to be highly beneficial to the whole community because anything that to make our lives easier yeah. means we get to you know supplement more um more important things like technique or things that take time to develop over the 4 hours to read <laughs> six different you know instruction manuals to figure out how something works yeah, well, it's,
2: it's yeah. interesting because I mean, all of us see it from the other end of the spectrum, too. From the other from the as influencers, we see how brands are trying to present their stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we you know, some of it is fantastic. And we all have like partners that we really enjoy working with and we work with them year over year. There's other times where we see sort of saying like, man, that's like kind of a reach or, you know, like where we have to push back a little bit because they might be overstating. The thing that I always see is in terms of overreach with a lot of companies is that they're trying to be they're they're so afraid to admit any weakness. Right. They they're they're, they lack that maturity to say, hey, we're really good at this. Don't use this for this. Use someone else for that. Right. We're good at just this. But as makers, we all know that. Right. And we all know that. okay, this is the case where I want to use this thing. This is the case where I want to use a corded tool, not a cordless tool. I don't care how good your batteries are i need a corded tool for this application but i think what we're excited about is to be able to advertise that way so for our clamps there's clamps out there that if you're doing like real fine woodworking and need a light touch and less of a marring surface use those that's great uh if you need a clamp that you could knock an elephant out with and then uh, has the most amount of travel and you can put a ton of torque to really press down a lot of like warped and twisted boards into a butcher block our clamps are awesome for that and you know i recommend saying hey supplement your existing collection if you if you got a bunch of the really nice parallel clamps get a couple ass kickers in there of our clamps that you could really force the boards into place with the first two of our clamps. And then you can go through with the clamps that are a little more precision, but maybe uh, don't have nearly as much travel and don't have the same kind of positive stops and sort of finish off that sort of glue up with that. So when we, we feel like from day one, we all talk about, like we don't want to oversell things. We want to say, this is what it's good for. These are its limitations. But what's awesome about being able to sort of produce our own content is we can show you those applications yeah, yeah. where it really does well.
1: Because at the end of the day, we've got for for the people that decide to try one of our products, we pretty much have one opportunity to either impress them or make them disappointed that they chose to buy one of our, our products. And so overstating that would be doing ourselves a disservice. It would be doing our customers a disservice. And uh, if we're trying to create this brand identity, then we have that we have that responsibility. So, yeah, we kind of like what you were saying, John, is like there's nothing worse than buying a tool, even if it works great the first or second time you use it. But then it like you really start getting diminishing returns or like the motor starts like really wearing down. That's where, you know, you get that regret. And that's why, you know, people have those feelings where it's like, oh, I will never buy that brand because they had a bad experience once with them. So we're aware of it and uh, we're just trying to be as honest and, and forthright about everything as we can.
2: Yeah. And the, the community has been great so far. I mean, that's, you know, totally so, we've gotten so many ideas for both new products for improvements to existing products. And, you know, there's a lot of opinions out there and a lot of great ideas. And I used to kind of have this, this viewpoint more that, well, you know, these companies, they all have professionals working on it, but the more and more I've worked with even pretty major brands Their R and D departments are not that big because it's really hard to justify R and D, right? Like because you can't predict when it's going to provide tangible benefit for the company. And these bigger companies sometimes they'll have such a focus on efficiency, they're not they don't want to keep you know three or four six figured salaried engineers on staff to try to invent and do things. They'll wait for some one-off inventor to do it and then buy the license or the design from them.
1: Yeah. And when you have those people making those decisions, usually they're not even using the tools themselves. So that's just another point of point of failure that we're trying to fix as
0: well. Uh, That's one of the things I think is the most exciting for me about, you know, you guys being able to do that is that, um, the part that I dislike the most uh, that from brands and companies where, uh, is where I see it kind of a disparity between what they're saying and what the product does is that they're highlighting like the wrong things. Like there's this one company who was new into the woodworking world uh, a couple of years ago. And like the first line, they had this bandsaw and the first line item, you know, the, the stat line, basically mm-hmm. their first line item was four inch dust port. And I was like, you know what? I, like a four inch mm-hmm. dust port is great, but for a bandsaw, mm-hmm. like I would probably not lead with four-inch dust port on the bandsaw, you know, and, and, and <laughs> yeah, and, and it is just like not knowing the lingo, not knowing and understanding, but also um, the usage. Like, uh, like we were just out there today, you know, doing some things. I think we were like, "Why would this be made this way? Like, did anybody ever use this?" And like, you know, having the fact that the three of you guys are intense users um, of all kinds of different products, and then you know what's good and what's bad, and you can kind of cherry pick from them. Uh, and also, you know, as you guys go through that decision-making process, I mean, we know in, in corporate America, that like you could have these great ideas. You know, I was in corporate for 17 years, we had some amazing ideas that went all the way up, uh, you know, where they go to certain points, right? And, and there's so many layers, you know, there's there's a manager, there's a senior manager, yeah. there's a director, a senior director, a vice president and a president. Like there's, there, and any one of those people could be like, nope, or like, oh, you know, I had this great idea. And and nobody wants to say no to the big head, right. the big cheese. And I've seen some of that stuff come through in products and talk to people and been like, "Yeah, we didn't really like that, but I was kind of you
2: know, Jimmy liked that thing, and you yeah. know, we can't say no to Jimmy." So <laughs> it's interesting. So like, we uh, I was cutting a bunch of angled cuts in steel the other day, and I was using two different saws. One's an abrasive cutoff saw, and the other one was uh, one of those sort of newer kind of like you know evolution saws and things yeah, like that cold saw yeah that was, what was called and it was really frustrating because each one had one function that i like and then was missing the other one that i needed from the other one so i liked the cold saw because it had positive stock i needed to cut 45s and setting up the 45 degree on this abrasive cutoff saw it was like you got to unloosen two screws it's this really jerky little like so small, Action. yeah.
0: The reference area is super small. It's
2: one of those things where you push on the, on the, the guard, nothing happens. Then you push hard, and then it moves way too much. <laughs> but the, the blade, the abrasive blade cuts really clean once everything is set up. On the other hand, I had this cold saw which is just a fire breathing dragon of pain. Like it just yeah. spits like hot chunks of steel. And they're not like little, like they're not like an angle grinder abrasive mm-hmm. thing. It's like, they're like little hot missiles. Yeah. And it's just enough. Like if you're already having a frustrating day when we're working in like hundred degree heat, so you, and you just keep getting hit with these like little insulting burns like, uh, it, but the 45 degree positive stop, Snaps in, locks in. You have that that sound and feel reinforcement of knowing that you're locked in at the right degree. Yeah. And so it was just, I was like, why can't we have both? Like, you know, why? And I think what's strange, and, and I've always, you know, I work a lot with Ryobi, and one of the things I've always liked is that they're very aggressive at coming up with sort of features that a lot of times, uh, you know, more fine woodworkers or contractors will think is a little bit gimmicky. But I actually think that's a really like, you know, I think traditionally you would think that like the higher end the tool or the more towards professionals, the more features it has. But I think what's, you know, in a lot of cases, the reverse is actually necessary. You need a lot of those sort of training wheel features when you're a beginner. And then as you're a more seasoned sort of veteran, you really just need high performance and stripped down things because you know exactly what you're doing. Um, So I'm excited on sort of both ends. And I like the fact that we're not just trying to be, you know, sort of do things at one level. We might do the super minimalist kind of tools that are, uh, you know, like the way we're thinking about our, our, our Japanese pull saws is, no, we just want all the same kind of teeth. We don't need the fine and the course. We just need one good set of teeth. That's good. Um, but for some other things, we might be adding a lot of sort of training wheel type things to make it really easy to get, you know, we're, we've been we're novice welders right so john 's been giving us while we, while you guys are out here a ton of great welding tip I, mean, I think all three of us are sort of going through a little mini welding academy uh that 's great, but i 'm struggling trying to put together these big right angle frames that I can frame out the windows in the shipping container house that i 'm building, and I get these little magnet clamps, and it's like why can 't I have a twelve inch by twelve inch one that 's like really that's really starting me off on the path to a nice right angle thing so i 'm not trying to clamp a The other day, I was trying to take my 12-inch speed square and try to like hold that and then slide it on the walling table and then kind of clamp it down. It's like, why can't I just have this this big dumb thing that makes it easy for a beginner?
0: Yeah, and that's really that's a great example. And I'm with you on the uh, the the, the flying missiles of pain Uh, (laughs) as as we you know. So the uh, the little maker ranch here, basically, uh, you know, we wake up. Uh, John's been up for three hours the rest of us then wake up uh, we go out and build 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 take a little break for lunch build some more and then clean up and eat and uh, I was getting in the shower after we were building the other day and it was like two metal shavings fell on my beard And I was like oh <laughs> yeah I was like hey, this is this is too much but uh, getting into welding is a great example because uh, I'm just learning too. And and again those things and the clamping on welding is is so dissimilar than woodworking because, you know, when you do the woodworking also, even if like, if you clamp up something in, in wood, like it's kind of there, but then like you do the initial clamp on welding and then you start tacking and doing beads and all of a sudden I'm like, why is this a half inch, you know, out that way? And so, you know, those are things that I think that's a great opportunity. And even, you, you know, you brought one of those, uh, another kind of movable magnet for us to, to play with. Um, so there's all kinds of things out there, but, um, I yeah, think having how people hands-on
1: use. Sorry. Yeah, it's funny. I was watching your recent wireless charging desk, and when you were welding up the frame for that, you were using those magnetic squares, and you're getting frustrated with them. And then by the end of it, you've got bar clamps going places. You've got <laughs> magnetic triangles everywhere. You've got like four different kind of specialized tools, but none of them are particularly specialized for the task you're using them for. So I think
3: insightful. I think one aspect of what you guys are bringing to the table is the actual defining of what a maker is um a lot of product and tool manufacturers that we all work with just don't consider the concept of what a maker is when they're in r d or in any product type development Um, at least from my experience you have this vast spectrum of uh quality and and uh in something like features like you were talking about ben Um, and then you have the the difference in a a ryobi tool to a festival tool as we all know, is absurdly um, vast. But in that, you know, like where does a maker fall? Well, you have your beginner and your DIYer in that beginner and DIYer market. And then you have your high-end professional in that high-end professional market. Then you have specialties and you have trades like uh, plumbing. And then you have mechanics and you have uh, woodworkers and carpenters. And all of these defined aspects of these companies have segmented tools that matter specifically to them. Well, a maker... And in something as general as what we define ourselves as, there's nothing really there that's, like, going to fit everything. And to be able to start to address that, I think, is really cool because we're all looking for that one more feature, like you said, or that, you know, that little thing that we've been thinking about for two years because I refuse to buy the the expensive (laughs) specialty clamps but I'm going to use the crap out of my squeeze woodworking clamps until I melt the tips off of those in welding. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's the kind of people we are when all you would typically need in something in a situation like Brad's for instance, and and Mike, it's funny you bring that up because Brad called me when he was going through this welding um, situation. I was like, Oh, it's like reverse from woodworking. It's not stuck when you, when you clamp it down, you can actually manipulate it after you tack it and um, put a clamp across it and pull it in together and you can pull it to square. well, why hasn't someone developed for woodworking clamps a metalworking accessory that slips onto the end of a parallel clamp to use in that situation? Like, little things like that, because I'm not a metalworker or a woodworker specifically, can be huge for our space. And I think the fact that the concept of a maker isn't defined to these brands. I go to these brands' new tool expos, and I go and talk to people in R&D and people that are higher up. And like, what do you want to see next? And I, I'm like, well, does it really matter because... One, I'm not going to see it for three years, and two, um, you're not. The market segment isn't defined by what you think. You consider me a woodworker when half of what I do is in you know a different medium, and then half of what that could be in a year is completely. Different. So I love the definition of a maker or the concept of bringing what a maker is to the market.
2: Yeah, one one of the companies I've always been sort of intrigued by is REI, you know, the outdoor Mm -hmm, kind of mm -hmm. supplier, because they're kind of in between a lot of spaces. Like my friends that are hunters and stuff will go there. My friends that are surfers will sort of go there. And what they've done is sort of be focused on sort of like the general sort of outdoor kind of adventure things. And you know, in some ways, they get really specific. you can get some really specific equipment there, in other ways, it's a little more generalist, but what they're trying to do is 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 bridge around this sort of broad collection of outdoor enthusiasts and I think in some ways, you know we're not even close to to, to that yet we're just getting started, but we're thinking of sort of the making community as that way it's a It's a bunch of people, different skill levels exploring creativity and physical making in a variety of different ways from from you know even sort of sewing and fiber arts to resin pouring crafting cosplay woodworking metalworking uh trades and all those things so uh it's it's a pretty broad category but we think you know the sort of fundamentals are people that think with their hands and then want a more efficient way to sort of do that
0: yeah as you guys were I uh, you know, talked a lot about brand identity and, and uh, you know, we've recently had a show uh, about logoing and brand identity. And, and that's something we hear a lot when people are starting out, especially woodworkers is they're like, well, what do I want my name to be? in? do I want it to be my name or do I want it to be, you know, rustic, rustic pine woodworks and, and all these things like, so as you
2: guys were going through that process, what did that look like for you guys? Well, let me start with a question, right? And, and this is, I think, Something probably that Mia might care a little bit more about than Chris, but it's like, do you care? Like, you know, John and Brad, do you guys care what your tools look like?
3: Yes. Yes. I don't. See, I'm, yeah. a, I'm snood. a snood. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, but I, but I generally am as a person, but I understand that. And I'm, and I'm accepting of what, what the market is too. So I'm bit like, yeah, I'll be the, I'll be so the So my support, <laughs> are you,
2: are you, only from a utilitarian standpoint. Right. So I was thinking about it in terms of like cookware. I was like walking around like a Williams-Sonoma or Sir Table or something like that. And they have great stuff, right? Like, you know, really high-performance stuff. But the way things look is also really important to people because it's going to be lying around their kitchen. Their kitchen's a place where they entertain. And that might be part of their, their identity. What me and Mike, you know, in, in particular, talked about a lot was making stuff isn't just our fun hobby. It's not like, you know, like... Uh, playing a video game, it's also part of our identity. And it, what we've seen, if, we were, if somebody really thinks of themselves as like an amateur chef, right? They, they're they always really proud. Oh, check this out. I got the sous vide machine, right? Oh, look at these right. Or, or or even something that's not, that's more dysfunctional, like people will love to tell you that they got the Instapot or or something like that, right? If someone's really into like weightlifting and fitness and they get the new Peloton bike, right? They want to show you, right? There's, there's, there's personal sort of identity benefits sort of tied into these things. And I kind of find a lot of the, again, the sort of monster truck, kind of monster energy drink branding. I'm like, oh, I kind of need that tool. But like, it's not. just offensive, right? <laughs> like, you know, it's like, it's just too much. It's right, just yeah. like all this like fake articulation. Like it's out of a Transformers movie, yeah. like a toolbox. Why hmm. can't I just have like a beautiful, simple steel toolbox? It doesn't have to have like eight, Thousand knuckles and ridges and snaps and gimmicks and things like that. I, I would like these things that represent a part of my identity to also look and have a certain style and also just a general sort of simpleness and durability that reflects the way I consume other things in my life.
1: That's what people love about, you see, people like Jimmy Duresta, once again, to talk about him these people with just affinities for vintage tools. And every time when you ask people, why, why do you love them so much? It's because they say, well, that's all cast iron, or it's like, there's no plastic parts, all this kind of stuff. That's why people are gravitating one for the looks. I mean, vintage tools and machinery obviously kind of have that aesthetic. That's really great. And something that we're definitely taking note of, but it's the idea of limiting those plastic parts, those fluorescent colors, all the things that just make tools loud on a shelf because they've got to compete with a million other items uh, and just stripping them down to their bare essentials. And what's essential is how they perform. And so limiting that and stripping those things away are only going to make them perform better and look compared to the other things on the market that much cooler on people's walls or in their in their workshop.
2: One of of the first projects I did for Homemade Modern was I. I was, you know, I was just acquiring all my tools. I didn't have very many tools at a time. So what I was doing, I was going on Craigslist or eBay and looking for sort of lots of used tools. So I was getting great deals on hand tools, like whole sets of screwdrivers, hand saws, clamps, wrenches, stuff like that. And I would, you know, you'd get this big mismatched group, but you get for like 30 bucks. And it was like a really good deal. So I ended up with all these different ones. So I sort of made the sets that I want. But I had this set of screwdrivers that was all different colored handles. So I used, I got the colored plastic Dip set, and mm-hmm. I dipped them all in different colors. <laughs> and so, but they all matched. They all had different profiles, but they all this this sort of consistent sort of varied color pattern. And I was like, oh wow, those that looks really cool. They look like these like modern little popsicles and stuff. <laughs> Cleaned up all the things, and they they looked just really had a had a cool aesthetic. I was like, man, I don't want to put these in a toolbox in the closet. So I made a drilled out a piece of oak, put it on the wall, and then I could use it as like a coat rack. So then it's also really handy because there's so many times in to life where are like, wait, I need a screwdriver. And to have it like right there in your entryway, but that it looks good, it put it it put it in this sort of handy location where you would then use it more. Uh I think that's why I like sh- it's great that chef's knives look great if you can if you can elevate a set of chef's knives to the point where it looks good out in the block on the countertop rather than hidden in the drawer it's just one step closer to sort of usage and that only really happens if you make things that look great
0: yeah and i think that's a that's a thing in woodworking too is not only people like to have it out to show it off but like you just said the screwdrivers having it there and so like you know french cleat walls like i've got french cleat walls and i've got Clamp storage, so you have that there, and it's not all behind doors. And so having that stuff out, and that's you know when I said I don't care what mine look like, to the sense of uh you know I I'd, I'd be more likely to have somebody come over and be like, look what this thing can do, type thing. So I, I love that you're hitting on both sides. But the same thing, if I had a choice between two, and I'm like, okay, would well, these do the same thing? But yeah, this one is you know fluorescent green, and it's got a you know black flame rolling down it. It's like. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not 18 anymore, you know, so let's, and, let's get some more refined. And
2: anyone that makes stuff has a certain set of material values, right? Like you don't use a lot of fluorescent plastic in your builds, right? right? You don't use a lot of these synthetic things, maybe a little bit of resin here and there as, as an experimenter, add a little bit of color. It's, I think that like, so we, we, we to some extent, even the most functional and, and pragmatic of us, still have uh some appreciation for aesthetics and style, certainly of the things we're making right it's not all just this logical pursuit of craft there is artistry there is these pursuits and so I think it's not too much of a reach and it will never be you know what tools look like will never be our main priority, but I intend to keep the tools and like the ones that I actually think look cool on on the shelves and For me, my whole goal with all, you know, with with the way I live and stuff is like I want my I don't want my workshop to be the separate little man cave away from the, the rest of the house. I want those two things as integrated as seamlessly as dust collection will allow. Right. Like I love the idea that there's kind of tools in every room of the house that, you know, you could be sitting at your desk where you're editing and you could, you know, you got a sketchbook and you got some other little creative things, you know. Uh, maybe some popsicle sticks and a glue mm-hmm. gun or something like that if you got to mock up something real quick while you're, while you're on a boring conference call. But, uh, no, I,
3: I like that idea that these can be amazing
2: domestic sort of items.
3: I think um, one of the brands that has withstood the test of time and done something similar has been uh, Snap-on. Totally. And if you're familiar with Snap-on, yeah. like, literally everything they make is sexy. Like, I don't care what it is. It could go down to, like, a bent ratchet all the way up to their most expensive toolbox. It is all sexy, and that stands for something, especially in a mechanic shop. Like the the men and women who purchase their tools are proud of them, yeah. and the biggest problem with them is price point. You no, know, yeah. I I would love to have nothing but Snap On tools in my shop uh, for anything that's a hand tool or mechanics in all my boxes, but it's just not economical. I think what you're uh, what you're touching on there, Ben, is you know bringing that down to a more consumable level and and bringing that type of uh, affinity towards look and affinity towards aesthetic in your shop to the concept of a quote unquote maker. And not just like if you are a mechanic who has a snap on box, you've made it like that's right. like, you know, it's like, it's like a crowning <laughs> achievement. And I know a lot of, of of men and women who are in that field that like, that's something they uh, aspire to have one day is like, they, it's a goal to work towards. And um, the boxes function fantastic. Don't get me wrong. Then they they function better than any boxes around the planet, but with that comes a high price point, and there is very comparable competition out there that is right up there in in quality and standard. But the look is off, or you know the feel is off. You know, Snap-Ons got their their specific finish type, and like the the way it like feels under your hand, you know, it's not, it's not the same as a uh, powder coated type toolbox that is a little more durable. It's like, no, I want my, I want my toolbox to look like it was finished by the same person as a car. Um, and, and so in that, you know, bringing that to more, uh, to a more consumable aspect on a lower level, that's not essentially beginner, but if you're looking to have, you know, some sexy tools, uh, you're not going to have to drop your entire pocketbook on it. Um, I love it because I'm, (laughs) I am that guy who's like, I want you know i i love my i love my festival tools. They're out in their sustainers for display. If you want to come into my shop, because they're something that I'm proud of. Like I have that. And it's experience. nice having a set too. I, yes. Like
2: I know people oh that don't care about the, the 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 way their tools look, but they love the complete their their completest in maybe a different right. way. Another thing I'm glad you brought up on, because I think that's a great example. Is because I don't think they're like these people sitting around being like, how do we make the coolest looking thing? Mm-hmm. I think the aesthetic came from an intention to detail everywhere else. Yes. And then us as sort of consumers, we aren't looking at them like, wow, it's the lines on that thing. We're looking at it. and We're being like, it's really smart because it's only the parts that need to be there, nothing extra. Mm-hmm. And that sort of that rigorous design is what makes it look great, right? Because we're looking at it through the eye of understanding its utility and seeing like, this is as simple as a well-made box can, can be. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the, those are sort of the things It's not about aesthetic flourishes. It's really just about the uh, paying. If you pay attention to detail in all aspects, you're going to end up with things that perform better in all.
3: Yeah, it's like the quality of execution. Like they're much more concerned with the usability of the tool. And typically, as you stated earlier, a simple tool that is, has a single function that is made very well fulfills that function forever. Yeah. And you don't need to go buying like sixteen or twenty different varieties of it. Um, I think I think an Allen key is a great example. Like, why is that? Why are Allen keys so complicated? Like, it is <laughs> the simplest thing. And I have sixteen sets of them. I have T handles. I have bent handles. I have bearing handles. I have multi sets. I have individual ones. I'm like, why are we still billy dallying around yeah. with something so simple um, when there could be just one very well done, aesthetically pleasing set that goes into a great. You know fixture on my wall that i never have to touch uh, sure. or buy another one again that, that master yeah. set that has yeah. every single um, variation so. yeah i think concepts like that in sitting back and then like i stated earlier you guys seeing the pain points from the marketplace as a maker and not as a professional or a diy or kind of that in between and not being in a uh, specific trade you know brings a different perspective to the market and and my Initial excitement for what you guys were doing was much more along the lines of defining what the maker is. Like, you know, that's essentially what your brand is, in my eyes, gonna have to do is in order to bring products to the market for the maker community, is define who that consumer is. Um, and 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 then stick to it. And yeah. I think uh and I think you guys are doing a great job, to be honest, yeah, like the, just the, with this conversation.
2: The the last sort of analogy that I'll sort of bring up is the way I think we sort of looked at the landscape is that we saw a lot of people trying to be taco bell right they're trying to do crazier and crazy double chalupa fire sauce yes. with dorito crunch dorito and we're crunch, like dorito and,
0: Gordito, man. and
2: what the them. market wanted was chipotle yeah <laughs> they wanted they wanted like just give us real food kind of simple yeah. yep. it's not the it's it's not the most gourmet food in the world but by, by by doing less by saying we don't have to do this crazy gadgety kind of things we can just focus on simple things that are functional, that are good, and that people like. And it doesn't have to try to beat, cover everything with flames and super duty.
0: Yeah. So we're, we're coming up on the hour
1: here. Let, let, let's talk about what's out there right now. What, what's the website? So the, the website is MakerBrandCo.com. There you'll find our clamps. Those are our first uh, products that we're bringing to the market. Um, We actually launched a pre-order for them just a a few weeks ago uh, just to kind of get the people that are excited about it uh, able to be able to reserve their products just because, like you said, whenever you're working with physical goods, you have a good estimation of how much you think you're going to be able to sell and how much you should be stocking, but you never know. Um, So we've had an incredible response from that. Um, Great feedback in terms of the people that have uh, ordered and a lot of excitement from those people as well. Uh, So those are available. Like once again at makerbrandco.com uh, for pre-order, we'll be getting the physical products very soon, and those will be shipping out ASAP. Um, next, we'll be bringing out the finish uh, that I spoke about earlier. That's something that I'm really excited about as well. Something that, I mean, really, it's going to get used in pretty much every one of our products. So it's uh, it's going to be a not not for the sake of it, but it's going to be an easy integration and something that's going to be really useful for. Hopefully, a lot of people. Yeah, and I, and I wanted
0: to, I wanted you to hit on that as as well because uh, in the in the car ride earlier today or yesterday, um, you guys were talking about the ability to to have the finish do multiple things. So t- talk a little bit about that about the coloring and and you know making it do just have a couple agents, but then being able to customize it how they like it.
2: Yeah. So one of the things we're working on is. I've noticed that well in my own shop and I think it's the same for, for Mike is every once in a while I'll experiment with a color or a tinted stain and I'll, I'll buy a, a can of it, I'll use it, like it and then I'll put it in my paint drawer. And then I noticed that like a couple years later I have about you know 23 quarters full different <laughs> colored stains,
1: right? You found that one color you like and you just kept buying that over and over again and forgot right. about the rest.
2: And so what I was thinking is that if you look at what the ingredients of all those 20 cans are, like 90 percent, probably more than 90 percent of the volume is all the same stuff, all some sort of oil and things like that. I'm like, why can't we just sell the pigment separate from the the base ingredients, the oil or the the, the polyurethane, whatever you're sort of mixing it into? Like, why can't we have these things separate so that you if you want it, you want a bluish tint you want to do something really crazy and modern you can add just a little bit of blue pigment if you uh want something a little bit if you want to bring out the red and mahogany for example you can add can keep scaling it up and mix it your, yourself so that way you're buying only like the base oil or the base ingredient in bulk and only mixing up enough that you need for that particular batch so you're not having a whole bunch of oil that's has all these different pigments already in there, cluttering up and probably getting expired and drying out.
3: Have you ever opened up like that can that's from a few years and it's just like a hockey puck in the (laughs) bottom? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Um, It's the worst. You try to cut it with some sort of thinner and it doesn't even have the same pigment. So basically soda stream, but for stain.
1: (laughs) And it's amazing because we'll be able to scale that so easily and we'll be able to crowdsource these awesome, essentially, recipes for amazing colors. You know, if people are going to buy this kit... We'll send them a booklet of, you know, if you want a really, you know, an essential kind of quintessential more so a medium brown stain or a dark brown stain. We have those recipes ready so that when they do want to tweak it, they've got their base prepared and then they can go and get creative. Um, And the way I kind of always think of it is like it's the same thing of when people like to make like cocktails and doing all the mixology at home. That's something that when someone has a dinner party, brings people over and then starts just going to town at their bar that's something that's really impressive for people. So whether people are making things at home and are able to say like, I made this stain, or if you're making it at scale, if you're uh, if you're making commission pieces, that's also a selling point that you can tell your clients is, this is a stain that no one else in the world is using, or this is a finish that no one else in the world is using. Um, and so it's just a, an opportunity to customize things and make the products that we're creating and spending all our time on, uh, as makers that, that one step further and one, one more bit unique.
3: I think, uh, like I, what I, what I think is cool about it is, uh, it's almost counter counterintuitive to like a standard business model, because the reason that Minwax and a couple other, the brands have so many colors options for us is to make that buying, um, experience easier, yeah. but they also want us to go buy more. So, I mean, like yeah. if, you know, if it, that there's a reason um, that the can sizes aren't, you know, one ounce, two ounce, three ounce, four ounce, five ounce, six ounce, seven ounce, eight ounce, because it is very hard to predict how much you're going to use. Yeah. So you guys putting the um, the consumer first and considering the needs of the person purchasing yeah. over how can you make more money by selling more cans um, is awesome. And, and and I really dig it. And I think the community will dig it because God knows that all of us <laughs> need educated more on finishing. Right. Um, I yeah. I I, it's one of the most uh, you know, asked questions I get, and I feel bad when I give responses, but I'm like, I might use like four things. Like, and here you go. These are the brands I like. These are what I use. These are why I use it. These are when I use it. And you can go here if you need other things answered, because yeah. I don't know. It's funny. Um, yeah.
1: Like when I was talking about the clear finishes, is like there's all those different options for oh, clear finishes. Oh, and with man. stain, it's, it's like even worse. Like a new woodworker or a new maker goes into Home Depot and sees the 80 different colors of Minwax. They're going to be paralyzed, you know, is early American better or is provincial better or is you know how many like there's eight different versions of the same basic color so and it just leads people to second guessing themselves too is if you have a product project that you've just made and you put the stain on it you get that kind of sense of like I like it but do I love it (laughs) you know and then you start thinking like oh well maybe I should have used this thing maybe I should have done this or it just takes away a little bit of the second guessing because you can dial it in you can get your scrap piece of water, you can flip your tabletop upside down, and you can make as many tests as you want. You can add one more drop of this pigment, realize, oh, man, it needs a little bit more brown tone or a little more red tone, and then just kind of just work with it as long as you want until you just dial it in perfect. So, Uh, But to be clear, first we're launching the finishes themselves, uh, and we are currently working on developing the whole pigment system, which will be coming out very early 2019, as long as everything is on track as it is now.
3: So I think one other uh, really cool part about it is that actually is available to the high-end professional. Um, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but like you can go into a high-end professional shop and it's actually automated. In the it pulls from specific pigments and you, you punch it in a computer. It sources it to the gun that automatically cleans itself. You only pay like $8,000 for the system. Oh, okay. um, and, then, <laughs> and then in order to get it up and running, uh, you have to keep uh, everything clean and in uh, all the like pigments replaced or whatever it might be, but um, bringing that concept down to you know, everyday buyers kind of market, I think is awesome. Um, I'm excited to be able to try some of the stuff you guys are bringing out because uh, I think it's amazing to see how forward thinking you are. And uh, you know, as someone in the community, like we do appreciate and understand the amount of risk that this does take on your guys' behalf, um, financially and time wise. You know, we you all three of you have uh, separate businesses multiples a couple of you and we we realize you know that this is a, a leap of faith in a direction with directive uh like you guys are all smart and doing it the right way but we appreciate uh, you know you guys going out on a limb for, for the yeah, rest and,
2: of us. and you know i'm sure we'll make some mistakes in this business as we have mm-hmm. with every other business that we've done and i think i think the thing that i'm excited about though is that i talked to so many of these these companies in the space and they're so defensive, right? I mean, they look at the internet as such a mean place and I understand that, right? Like everyone has opinion about all the different colored power tools, right? But dude, I right. More than you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. And I think what's exciting is that we're by sort of having modest expectations, we can approach this from a very non-defensive position, you know, like it's like we said, Hey, if we break even and get the tools that we like, it's a win for, as far as we're oh concerned. So, we don't have to be like sell sell sell, buy, you know, buy this tool. This is the best thing ever. It's so crazy. Check it out. Set it and forget it, like all the Ron Popeil yeah. kind of crap. Like, yeah. no, we can just be like, yeah, this works great for this one thing. That's why we decided to make it. And,
1: yeah. And we're just in a unique position where, you know, we are like right now we've got an amazing soundboard, you know, being on made for profit talking to I mean, you guys are our personal friends, which is awesome. And we're, you're also great resources to bounce these ideas off of, whether it's conceptually or when the products come in. Like, obviously, it's getting straight sent straight to you guys because we've got Brad, who is much more meticulous and analytic, kind of oriented than I am personally. I would kind of parallel you with Chris in that kind of sense. And then we have John Malecki, who is very into the like commission side of it. You've done custom work for very high paying clients and you have a different perspective than either of the three of us have. And so being in a position where not only are the three of us in a unique spot, we're, we're kind of at a place where we're in this community and involved with people that also bring such a, such a good value that if we can use that to, you know, use that as part of our soundboard, then that's, that's amazing.
3: Yeah, man, we know the community is excited. I know Brad and I personally have gotten reached out to by a lot of our listeners um, who heard the announcement on your guys' show. Yeah. They were stoked. Um, they were looking for our opinions and stuff, so we were pumped to have you guys on here and talk about it. So how would
1: you feel about the the maker brand clamps that you used this weekend? We made a big old butcher cl- block with them.
3: Oh, I dig them. I mean, I've, the things you guys uh, talked about them as far as benefits go are great. Um, cool. You know, uh, I I'm personally um, am a little bit stronger than a normal person, so I can crank down on a clamp, <laughs> but, you know, having uh, a f- – the physics understood to be able to get a little bit more leverage and a little more torque. Um, the you know the bar itself is made in a way that it doesn't flex, bend, or warp that some other options might have, um, as well as the positive stop. It has its up. It has both sides of the spectrum. It's great if you're used to using it. It does take a little bit to get used to if you don't. Yeah. Um, but it, it is something that is rock solid on the back end of that clamp. Um, I think they're really great, and you know the price point you guys are bringing them in at, I think, is completely reasonable. And that if uh, if they were in my shop, they would get a ton of views. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, and well,
1: I, they will be in your shop. It's also it's also a
2: direct to consumer world now too. Yes, and that's that's the other thing is, uh, you know, I think more and more makers are buying their stuff on Amazon. Um, the the retailers aren't going away anytime time soon, especially the the big ones when it comes to you know consumables and and materials and stuff like that but I mean, you look at what like the dollar shave clubs have done and all these ones where they said, Hey, we don't, we don't need a million specialty stores. Let's, uh,
1: cut out the middleman.
2: And you've already seen it with like a lot of the, you know, the fine woodworking. It used to be, there was a lot of, you know, it seemed like there was a lot more different brands of sort of woodworking or one-off sort of woodworking shops. And now there's only a few sort of national ones and they have to be really, they can't really compete with the big box home improvement centers. So, uh, Mm -hmm. We think that you know, also doing this as a direct to consumer play is uh you know very time appropriate.
0: Yeah, and I think that's gonna work work well. And and one of the things that I really like too is uh you know I got to put my hands on the the clamps and check it out, and I was like oh you know it would be cool if you know and pointing out a few little things with with you Mike and you're like yep yep already thought about that yep, yep. and so like. Being able to iterate as well, I mean, obviously there are challenges, you talked about tooling and those yeah. things, so there are some some pieces, but again, you don't have to take it up the chain and bring it back down. Like if there was something that you got a massive amount of feedback on, you'd sell through the current inventory, you know, kind of make the the idea of, okay, does that really make sense? You know, how much is this going to cost versus the benefit of what it is and, and make those changes a lot more nimble than kind of a corporate company? I, I
2: don't think there's a lot, of, I mean... I think it's really hard with power tools because the, the amount of capital it takes to start a power tool company, it's not reasonable to expect the pedigreed CEO of those companies to also be like a woodworking enthusiast. Although I think it probably would improve their product if they, if he <laughs> if, if, if was. Um, but I think what's, what's we're excited about is that the people making the business decisions are also the people who have to deal with the frustrations of the tools in their own hands. Yeah. And it's like, if you're you know would you want to eat food from a chef that doesn't eat their own food like you right. you you want people to be invested in the quality of their products right. because we have to use it
0: well and, and your audience too right yeah. i mean like if you guys just came out with a stinker yeah. and you're touting how good it is and showing it and then a bunch of people buy it like you're going to get blown up in your youtube comments yeah. and your instagram i mean this is not like yeah yeah you're not like up in this ivory tower you're you're there and you're using them and it and people are going to very, very, very quickly see like, you know, is, is what you're telling them genuine or not? And then when they get the good experience, they're going to be like, yes, they're like I saw this in Ben and, and Mike and Chris's videos and and I'm having the same experience and that's a good thing. Um, because you know, you've all we've all seen, you know the, the Ronco, and then you get the pocket fisherman home, and then and it balls it, it up on the first cast. That was the worst day of my life. And I, oh, oh, so pocket <laughs> the fish pocket fisherman. Kind of, Do you think anyone's ever caught a fish? <laughs> <laughs> just I, I, yeah, just Ron. It, it, it was. It, it was just. <laughs> It was a stocked five-gallon bucket. Yeah. Awesome. So they didn't feed the fish for three days. Uh, yeah, so I, I love this, guys. Thank you so much for coming on. I mean, obviously, we're in your backyard, so yeah. Well, thanks uh,
1: for having us on again. It's, it's always fun out. being on this <laughs> yeah. show. Yeah,
0: yeah. So uh, you know, Modern Maker Podcast obviously um, is going to be the best place for you guys to to stay abreast with the happenings on Maker Brand Co., as well as um, I'm sure you guys have. Uh, I know you have social media and then you'll I'm sure you'll be doing an email list and all those things for breaking
2: news and all that great stuff. So make sure you guys check that out. Yeah, just hit us up on uh, Maker Brand Co on Instagram. And if you have some ideas or some frustrations with the with the tool category, we can't, you know, we can't invent uh, everything, but we, we would love to hear suggestions from. From the audience because we know we got a lot of experienced makers out there
1: and don't forget listen to episode 101 of the modern maker podcast because these two are on it so head on
2: over <laughs> yeah yeah okay, so that's really fun
0: to kind of have the the dual thread it's like wait, hey, we're in the same place at the same time let's record some podcast knock out, knock out, knock out some content yeah. that's right awesome. all right guys well thank you so much and we really appreciate you guys having on and, and having us out thank you thank you Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into the show. Make sure you check out the show notes at madeforprofit.com forward slash episode 59. We'll have links there to all the information about Maker Brand Co. and where you can go support the guys and see the cool products that they have going on. You can also follow us on Instagram at madeforprofit to keep up with what we're doing on the daily, hit us up with some questions, and engage with the MFP tribe. All right, we're going to head over to the after show. Uh, I'm actually flying solo. John is on vacation, so I'm going to head over to the after show and do it myself. All right, guys, we'll see you next week.